Well, good morning. I'm Bill. I am the downtown campus pastor. Have you noticed these last few days? It is like getting warm and then cold. It's really messing with me. I'm like really cold this morning. Anyone else cold this morning? Okay, we're, we're going to get through this. I'm excited. Christmas is coming. And it, it's really great to be with you this morning. I'm excited actually because we're launching into a new series this week that is called I Am. And I Am is really about the seven I Am statements that Jesus makes throughout the book of John. And so this series is going to prepare us for and take us all the way through the Christmas season. So to start off this morning, I want to set up the I Am series by sharing a little bit about some ideas that I've ran into regarding Jesus. So from the time that I was young, I had a really particular interest in theology. I always had kind of a knack for all things Sunday school, you know? Like I just, I liked the stories, I liked learning about Jesus, I liked a lot of those things. And so when I got to be the age to go through confirmation in the Methodist church, I was about 11 or, or there was about 11 or 12 students in my confirmation class, and it felt like I was the only one that wanted to be there, okay? So literally, we would go to class, and it would be like 11 or 12 other people and me, and it would be, I would sit on one end, and the pastor would sit on the other end, and we would just talk, and then the whole class would just look back and forth between me and him, because they didn't really want to be there, so it was like a tennis match the whole time, right? Well, I was into the theology back then, but the interesting thing to me was the church that we were going to back then, there was a lot of people who believed different things about God, and they believed a lot of different things about God. They weren't always the traditional beliefs. There was a lady in our Sunday school class who said that she thought that God was more like an impersonal force, like he was like Star Wars or something. So she said that. That was interesting. There was people in all different stages of spiritual understanding, and they would question some of the most basic and essential truths of doctrine. And in fact, I remember one discussion at some point where someone began questioning if Jesus was even God in a Sunday school class. And the reasoning behind this was the assertion that Jesus never comes out and explicitly makes the claim that he is God. The argument is that there's nowhere in scripture where Jesus comes out and says the words, I am God, so follow me. And I've heard that a couple of times before. I remember hearing this claim and thinking how shocking that was because Christians have worshipped Jesus as God as very early on in the church. And it turns out that that's actually a common misconception about Jesus. I've seen it pop up over and over again. Does Jesus make the claim in scripture that he is God? Well, the short answer is, of course, yes, for sure. And the problem, as we'll see in a minute, is it's not that Jesus doesn't make the claim that he's God. It's the, pro the problem is that our lack of biblical understanding causes us to miss it when he does. So when Jesus says, I am God, we don't hear it because we don't actually understand the depth of what he's saying sometimes in scripture. And there's actually a multitude of ways that we can prove that Jesus is indeed God throughout scripture, but to set up this series, we're going to look at one particular instance where Jesus doesn't just call himself God, but he names himself the one and only true God. In order to do that, we have to start in the Old Testament. So if you have a Bible this morning, you can turn it up or turn it open to Exodus uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, you can always turn on your electronic device and go that way, or we'll have it up on the screens for you. So it's Exodus chapter 3, 13 through 15. Moses is talking to God, 
And this is what it says. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. This passage in the Old Testament is one of the most essential passages in Scripture because it's here that we learn that God is not just some unknown force or mysterious heavenly being, but he's a particular being with a personal name. The God of the universe, the source, the creator of everything doesn't just have a title that relates to his station. Yes, we address him as the almighty God above any other, the capital G God, but he also has a name beyond that. It's actually kind of funny that we only, even today in English, we only refer to him as God. It's kind of weird if you think about it. Um, that would be like if we found the best, strongest, most intelligent person on earth and we all just referred to him or her as human with a capital H, right? God actually has a name and he reveals it to us in the words of scripture. God's name is Yahweh. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is Yahweh. I am who I am or just I am for short. He says, say this to the people of Israel, I am sent me to you. Now, we could dive into a lot of theology about the significance of God calling himself I am, but we would probably run out of of time. So, suffice it to say that the Jews knew that God, the God that they worshipped, the God of their forefathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that created the world and is supreme over everything, has always been called Yahweh, which means I am who I am. It's all over the pages of Scripture. In fact, when you look in the Old Testament, anytime you see the word L-O-R-D in capital letters, that always is the word Yahweh. Our modern translations capitalize it and say that it's Lord, but it's always the word Yahweh. Okay, so we've established so far that God's name in the Old Testament for all generations forever and ever is I Am, or more specifically Yahweh. So now flip over to John chapter 8, 54 through 59, if you have a Bible. John chapter 8, 54 through 59. While you're turning there, let me tell you what's been going on in this passage. This passage is about Jesus. Um, In John chapter 8, Jesus is having this long dispute with the Pharisees, the religious authorities of the day, of who he is and why he has come. And basically, if you read the whole account, there's a lot of confusion about what Jesus is saying. Just like other places in the New Testament, it's like Jesus is on a totally different wavelength than the people he's talking to. And he's talking to the Jewish authority at the time. And finally, the Jews basically asked Jesus, Jesus, just who do you think you are? And so listen carefully to what Jesus says. Verse 54. Jesus replied, I, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, who you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. 
You are not 50 years old, they said to him, and you have seen Abraham? Very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. Did you catch it? He says, I am. Jesus uses God's proper name to describe himself. There is no mistaking the claim that Jesus is making in this passage. He is not saying that he is a God. He is not saying he is God-like. Jesus is saying that he is the God. Jesus is saying that he is I am, the God revealed to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. Unless you think that he's saying something else and we're just reading it wrong, look at how they respond to him. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. You know, the Jews at the time, they considered blasphemy a capital offense. And if you were to call yourself God or relate yourself to God some way, that qualified as blasphemy. And that's why they pick up stones to kill him. The point I'm making is this. As we launch into this series this morning and continue on over the next several weeks, we must keep in mind that every time that we look at an I am statement from Jesus, we are learning something profound about the God of this universe. We're learning something profound about Yahweh. Before Abraham was born, I am. God reveals himself fully in the person of Jesus. In Hebrews 1, 1 through 2, it puts it this way. In the past, God spoke through our ancestors, through the prophets, at many times and in various ways. God used to speak through his prophets that he sent in the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Jesus is the complete revelation of God, and it is through him that we learn much about who God is, about who this God is that you and I worship. And so let me encourage you, for this series, uh, be ready to learn more about God. Put it in your heart before you come to church this morning or every morning that you come. Be ready to grow in your understanding of who Yahweh is. In fact, we're going to jump right in this morning. We're going to look at a particular I am statement that Jesus makes. This morning we're going to look at the statement, I am the true vine. So in order to do that, let's look at our Bibles again in John chapter 15, or you can follow along on your screen. While you're turning there, I'm going to pray for us as we jump into one of these first I am statements of Jesus that we're going to look at. Let's pray. Lord, we recognize that you said very clearly in your word that you are I am, that you are Yahweh. And then we see in the New Testament, Jesus, how you actually say those words, that you are Yahweh. And so, Lord, we acknowledge that before you right now. And we ask as we open John 15 that you would illuminate your scriptures, that you would shed light on your word, that we'd be able to see what you mean by you are the true vine, that you would help us to understand the depth that we can get from knowing that you're the true vine, and that it would change our lives, that we would worship you and relate with you differently because we know this knowledge. Lord, work and move in us through your Holy Spirit to hear what you have for us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 15, 1 through 11 will be on the screens again. Here's what it says. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that, so that it'll be even more fruitful. You are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, they're thrown into the fire, and they're burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I love you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. This is God's word. Now, as we explore this passage this morning, I want to answer two main questions that you'll find on your outline. The first one is this. What does this passage reveal to us about Jesus? What does it mean that Jesus is the true vine? And why is that significant? But also, the second question is, since Jesus is the true vine, how are you and I supposed to respond to that? So let's look at the first one. What does this passage reveal to us about Jesus? There's four main aspects. First, Jesus is the only true vine. He's the only true vine. Jesus states this about himself in this passage twice, actually. And now, initially, when we read something like this, that Jesus is calling himself the vine— Uh, we think that Jesus is just making an agricultural analogy. Without any sort of background, we can just take this to mean that Jesus is the vine that brings nutrients in life to those he's connected to, or those who are connected to him. And of course, that's true, and it's a huge aspect of what he's saying, and we'll talk about that, but there's actually something deeper going on in this passage. If you were to put yourself in the shoes of the disciples at the time, to any Jew at the time, talking about the vine would immediately bring to mind a very specific thing. Talking about the vine would bring to mind the nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, the vine is a symbol for Israel, the covenant people of God. You can see this in Psalm Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2, Ezekiel 15, and Hosea 10, among other places. But what is interesting is that if you were to look all of those passages up, you would not find any of them talking about Israel as the vine in a favorable way. Whenever historic Israel is referenced as the vine, it's always talking about the vine's failure to produce good fruit that's, that's being emphasized in those passages, along with the corresponding threat of God's judgment on the nation of Israel. It's a picture of the nation of Israel having this special connection with God, the source of life, but failing to actually produce the fruit or the evidence that would come from such a connection. And so when they heard vine, they would think, oh man, we're, we're blowing it. We're blowing it as a people. We're blowing it as a nation. And so what Jesus is doing here when he says he's the true vine is he's bringing a new meaning to the analogy about Israel. The disciples who he's speaking to would have caught this, and it's quite a profound thing that Jesus says he's the true vine. 
Jesus is taking the national identity that every Jew embodied as the special people of God, and he's flipping it on its head. To Jesus, having a special connection with God is no longer about being born Jewish. It's no longer about having a Jewish heritage. It's about connecting to Jesus. Jesus is the true Israel, is what he's saying. The truth that you need to hear this morning from that is it's easy to think about it for the disciples, but what about for us? What about for us this morning? It's not about what family you're born into and what they believe. It's not about the particular church you attend. The most important aspect, the only aspect of your faith is whether or not you are connected to Jesus. You know, one of the hardest things about being a pastor is watching some people go from passionately proclaiming Jesus to abandoning their faith. I've seen it happen, and it always hurts. And it always makes me really sad, and I always wonder why. But the truth is that I often know the answer. Many times people fall away from their faith because they never fell in love with Jesus. They only fell in love with a set of theological truths that they were taught. Religion is not Jesus. The religious things we do and hold on to were never meant to be the main thing. It's just like the Jewish people of Jesus' day. The important thing about the Jews was not that they were born Jewish. It was that they belonged to God. And God himself was the most important thing. The lesson is, make sure that you are connected to Jesus and not just a set of theological beliefs. Those beliefs are vitally important and they point us to Jesus but they're only there to point you to him. He is the only true vine in the connection with God, and it's in Jesus alone that we find true growth in life and transformation. That brings us to the next point of this aspect of this passage reveals to us about Jesus. Jesus, the true vine, is the ultimate source of life and power in the Father's garden. Look at verse 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So the interesting thing about this part of the passage is that it reveals to us the dynamic between Jesus and God the Father. Although they are equally one God, God the Father and Jesus the Son have different roles, according to this passage. The Father is the gardener. He's in, the, he's in charge of the whole garden, and he takes an active role. But what does that mean? What does that mean that the father is the gardener? Well, I'm sure because we're from Wisconsin, a lot of you are familiar with gardening. But I'll never forget growing up in northwest Indiana, my dad had a huge garden in our backyard. It was gigantic, okay? And he plotted this garden. He had pumpkins. He had all sorts of things in this garden. And he would work on it, and he put tons of work into it every year, and he would get to the point where at the end of the season, it would just be full of vegetables, all sorts of things. Well, one year, we go to sell our house to move to Wisconsin, and a prospective buyer came to view the property, and he saw my dad's garden, and he was really impressed, but he was coming from the city, and he didn't know much about gardening, so he asked my dad, do those plants just grow back like that every year then? And he really thought, like he just didn't understand. He really thought maybe they grew back. You see, he didn't know that you have to work a garden every year. He didn't know the planting, the tilling, the fertilizing, the sowing, or the weeding. He thought that you planted it once, and then every year you got a crop. 
he didn't know that it, it all had to be worked. And the truth is, is that gardens need tending in order to produce a good and full crop. And it's the same for us who are connected to Jesus. Once we are connected to Jesus, the Father doesn't just leave us alone. He tends to us as part of the garden. He cuts and he prunes to make us more fruitful. And I believe this part of the passage is really talking about the Lord disciplining us. Like in Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to how the Lord shapes us as the master gardener. Hebrews chapter 12 verses 4 through 11. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his sons. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we, have had, we all have had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for that. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while when they thought what was best, but God disciplines us for good in order that we may share in his holiness. Now listen, no, disciples, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. When we experience hardship, when we experience trouble in this life, God the Father wants to use that to help our lives grow in Jesus because he loves us. It's comforting to know that if we follow and we allow God to do it, God does not waste the hard things that we deal with and the difficulties we experience, but instead, he uses it to prune us, to help us grow. So being connected to the true vine means that God takes an active role in your life, trimming away anything that's preventing you from bearing good fruit for him. If you feel like you're going through the ringer lately, if things are hard in your life, cling to Jesus. Stay connected to your source of life and allow the gardener to do his work. It may not feel good, but God is producing in you a harvest of righteousness and peace, ending in eternal life. And that brings us to the next aspect. Jesus, the true vine, is required for bearing fruit. Jesus, the true vine, is required for bearing fruit. Look at verses 4 through 6 in this passage. Jesus says, Remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. All right, so you have this picture here. Jesus is the true vine through which we get everything we need in order to produce a good life that's pleasing to God. That's pretty straightforward. Well, I have always loved this passage because the message is so clear. We must stay connected to Jesus in order to live the life God wants us to live and be the people that God wants us to be. But what's really interesting about this passage is over the last year or so, I've come to even a greater understanding of what this passage is all about and what it means to stay connected to Jesus. 
If I were to ask you this morning, what, what does it mean to you to abide or remain with Jesus? You might say something like, well, remaining with Jesus is about praying, or it's about reading your Bible, or it's about attending a church service, or something similar. And if you said any of those things, you wouldn't be wrong. Those are part of abiding in Christ. But can I tell you a huge aspect of remaining in Jesus that is easily missed? It's all about how you are personally connected to the people of God, the local church. The longer I walk with Jesus, the more I realize this is true. Throughout the New Testament teachings, we see over and over again that the New Testament calls the collection of believers in Jesus the body of Christ. The church is the visible expression of Jesus to the world and all those who follow. It is inexorably tied, and we cannot follow Jesus without it. If you learn anything from this passage in John 15, it should be that as followers of Jesus, we can't get disconnected from him. Disconnected branches wither and they shrivel up. Disconnected branches go to the burn pile. There are far too many Christians who try to follow Jesus without being an active part of his body, which is the church. And I want to be clear, it cannot work for long. Without a deep, abiding connection to Jesus, Jesus' body, the church, we shrivel in our faith. We deprive ourselves of the good nutrients. This is why at our church we place a huge emphasis on groups and relationships. You must be connected in a significant way to other believers in order to thrive and to grow as a Christ follower. There is no way around it. And there's not any judgment coming from me about that. It is difficult to get connected to other people. It takes effort. It's difficult and it's hard, but you need to do it. You need the body of Christ. You have to be part of it in order to grow. All right, let's take a look at one more aspect. Jesus, the true vine, brings about God's glory through the branches bearing fruit. Look at verses 8 and 9. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will also remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that your joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. One of the age-old questions that always gets asked is, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? What is our purpose? And it seems like everyone on earth gets around to asking this question at some point. It's the big question of life and perhaps the most important question. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, a collection of questions and answers that expresses this biblical teaching in various areas of life, says that it's the very first answer and question. That man's chief end is to glorify God, to enjoy him forever. That's our ultimate purpose, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. According to the Bible, our purpose, the reason why we are here, is for God's glory. You exist for God's glory. In other words, our purpose is to praise God, to worship him, to proclaim his greatness, and to accomplish his will. This is what glorifies God. Therefore, in this, we find that God has given us a reason for our existence, a meaning for our existence. We are created by him according to his desires, and our lives are to be lived for him so that what we might accomplish is what he has for us to do. Jesus says that the way the Father receives glory is by us producing fruit of a life that's lived for Jesus and thus show ourselves to be his disciples. 
the way we fulfill our purpose and reason for existence is by remaining and abiding with Jesus. And because of that, producing the fruit of righteousness. Now, the question is, what does that look like? Well, it's actually an idea of moving from one kind of fruit you're producing to another kind of fruit that you're producing. And Galatians 5 make this really clear. There's two types of fruit in Galatians 5. There's the acts of the flesh, and there's the fruit of the Spirit. The acts of the flesh are what you will follow if you are not connected to Jesus. Those are the things that come out from our natural tendencies. And so if you read it, it says that the acts of the flesh, the fruit of not following God, are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's what comes out. That's the fruit that comes out of following your flesh. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of those who abide with Jesus, the fruit of those who are remaining with him, those are love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, and now they bear the good fruit of the Spirit. A good question to ask is, am I connected with Jesus in such a way that my life looks more like the acts of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit? Am I chasing the world and its desires, or am I becoming more and more like the source of all life, Jesus? All right, so we answer the question, what does this passage reveal to us about Jesus? Now let's close by answering the last question, which is this. If Jesus is the true vine, how are we to respond? So we learn that Jesus is this true vine. He's the source of all nutrients in life. He helps us to grow. How are we to respond to that? Well, the heart of this passage is pretty clear. Jesus is saying to us, remain in him. Remain in Jesus. Remain in his teachings. Reading and studying and being obedient to his word. His word. Being a student of the Bible. You have to interact with it as a, personally, as a family, in a small group, in a church setting. Any way that you could put God's word, a steady diet of God's word into your life, you need to have it be part of it. Remain connected to his body. Plug yourself into a community of believers where you can know others and be truly known. This is, essentially, this is essential to your growth and to bearing fruit. Remember that Jesus' body is the church. And as a Christ follower, if you disconnect yourself from his body, you can't expect to continue to thrive. You must have significant relationships with other Christians. Remain in prayer. Prayer is not a transaction between you and God. It is your connection. Jesus says in this passage that if you abide in him, ask whatever you wish and it will be given unto you. That's an incredible promise from God. If you remain in Jesus, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. He isn't saying that God is a genie who grants wishes, right? Well, I'm, you know, I'm remaining with Jesus, so I want to win the lotto, so God's going to answer that, right? No, it's not saying that. He's saying the closer that you stay to him, the more you will begin to pray and ask God for which he already wants to give you. And so that you will find in your prayers that they are more effective because you have, you're connected to Jesus. That's pretty cool. Like a lot of times people are frustrated in their faith because God's not answering their prayer. 
Maybe the problem is that you need to be remaining connected to Jesus himself. You want your prayers answered? Stay connected to Jesus. Remain in him and you will see your prayers answered. Lastly, remain with Jesus himself. Jesus is not just a set of theological beliefs. He is the great I am. He is Yahweh, the true vine. Over the next several weeks through Christmas, we'll be learning a lot more about Jesus through these I am statements. And it's a great way to learn more about Yahweh and to grow deeper with him. Don't miss it. Come prepared every week to learn more about who this God is that we worship. And this week, the challenge is really simple. Remain. Remain with Jesus. If you get to your Tuesday or your Wednesday and your Thursday and you're like, man, I haven't really thought about God very much. I haven't really thought about my faith. I haven't really thought about connecting with God. That means you're not remaining with Jesus throughout the week. Find ways to stay connected with Jesus. And it's in that that you will bear much fruit and glorify God, which is your purpose in life. Let's pray. God, this is a hard challenge to remain in you. We tend to get off and we start following our own way. We go to church and we hear a sermon and we're convicted and there's truth and we want to follow you and then midway through the week we've realized that we've been missing it. That we've forgot to think about you. And church is coming again and so we want to hurry up and connect with you again. Lord, I pray our lives wouldn't be like that. That you would help us to remain with you always. That we would remain in your word, in your scripture. That we would remain in praying. That we would remain with your body and we would find touch points throughout the week to be connected to Jesus. Lord, would you work in us and help us to remain in in the vine and to abide and to grow and bear fruit and bring you glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.